Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, everybody. This is animator Mark Pudliner, and you are listening to Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast, your show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm musician and lifelong Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, Al John Go. You can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Aljon, how are you? I am, I, I tell you what, I could not be better, but more exhausted than ever. And uh, there you go. I'll tell you why I uh, played my first gig last night since wow. before the pandemic. Since the pandemic hit, huh? Yeah, played it. Um, first live gig, huh? First, first, well, first live gig. I, I played a couple small little shows with a company band. I happened to to help out the chiefs our our, our executive suite if you will uh, whenever they play and, and sit in on bass guitar with them and, and while they have all the fun playing guitar and <laughs> so but those are like you know 30 minute gigs here and there or sit in and, and you know with the office band yeah but, that but that's really the office count. band the office but you're band. talking about a public live performance. a public live performance yes um and i did something that i never thought i would do dave which is play a lot of country music Wow. I played a lot. I played a lot of Merle Haggard and um, uh, played Brooks and Dunn. Like, you know. Well, hey, you know what? Loretta Lynn, the queen of country Uh, rocks, passed away this this past week. Yes. And that was huge. And she had had an incredible career. 90. She was 90 years old. And, you know, the one thing that was amazing that I read, Al John, (laughs) was that she left behind enough songs enough recorded songs that haven't been released to fill 10 albums i can't wait i can't wait and i i believe she's so prolific and we i worked with her uh dave back in 2019 um for her birthday bash at the uh the arena in nashville the bridgestone arena and we built a bunch of guitars for her and she is a very, very sweet lady. She was a very sweet lady. And her mark in pop culture and music uh, is is an old, is just amazing because she just, um, she really is that, that person, 
that that character and, and she's the, not a the character. Coal, she's, the coal a, miner's daughter. She is the coal miner's daughter. Indeed. Yeah. You know, she really is. And yeah. um but what a life. I mean, she's like you know, once again, like Betty White. I mean, she she's been everywhere, she's done everything. Her story's been told and told and uh and she had that big resurgence, uh, you know, five, ten years ago when she when, uh, when, when she played with Jack, Jack White, White and the White Stripes, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just uh, you know, really cool to see artists like her, uh, you know, come back and have that revival like Johnny Cash did doing that nine inch nails cover and, right. and kind of come back in, in, in into the uh, zeitgeist, if you will. And, but um, it's, it's, it's sad, but yet we all can rejoice in the fact that she's left behind such an amazing catalog of music and stuff that we haven't yet heard yet. And uh, I can't wait to discover that. Hopefully the estate will, will uh, issue some of those, uh, those pieces you know over the next yeah i think i think it'll be fantastic Mm -hmm. yeah really amazing well how about your week dave you know i i went up to napa valley i took i took nancy up to napa valley to celebrate her birthday Mm -hmm. and also to visit our daughter marley who's moved up there and um i have to tell you i visited the ben sharpstein museum Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, Ben Sharpstein, who uh, uh, was a legendary uh, director at uh, at the Walt Disney uh, Animation Studios, or should say the Disney Studios, the Walt Disney Studios, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, he was involved in Fantasia and Cinderella, and you know, a whole mess of films. Yeah. Uh, and there was this little museum in Calistoga, California, and they have the Ben Sharpstein Room. That ha- is filled with some of his memorabilia from when he worked for uh, Max Fleischer uh, out of the Inkwell films and doing Coco the Clown. And then he uh, went on to work at Disney and uh, he was one of Disney's trusted directors. And they had an Oscar that Walt gave to Ben for uh, directing Ama Girls. And wow. that won uh, an Academy Award. And so they had some photos and other memorabilia and uh, they had uh, Ben Sharpstein's Mouska uh, on display. So if you ever get up to Napa Valley, go over to Calistoga and visit the Ben Sharpstein Museum. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, You know what? I appreciate that. Uh, Speaking of that, I know that a friend of the show, Tom Cito, ended up publishing a bunch of uh, you know, filmmakers and animators, uh, yeah, in memoriam uh, list. It's great that someone like Tom and like us, we we always mark, uh, you know, the the passing of of these legendary artists. And it's great that there's a museum up there to kind of honor his his tribute. You know, all of his all of his work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so that was my week. It was a little bit of wine, a little bit of good food, and visiting the Ben Sharpstein Museum uh, with my family. Oh, that is so fun. Well, good, good deal, man. Well, I, I tell you, we have a lot of fun on this show. We've got an awesome guest, Dave. You want to sizzle it up a little bit for us? Yeah, for we do. We have Kevin Kidney uh, of the Kevin and Jody Show. Uh, Kevin Kidney, Kidney to me is a legendary uh, designer, artist, sculptor, uh, show, does, you know, I mean, he's show designer, parade designer, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's a multi-talented individual, and we're going to have him right here on the Skull Rock podcast very shortly. It trips me out that he worked at Disney so young. He started his career so young. 
Oh, I know. It, I mean, it's really something else. And he spent he spent a lot of years there doing a lot of great things and then uh, set up his own gig. And he's still doing a lot of great things for Disney. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to delve into that interview. Kevin is an amazing talent and we're looking forward to that. But I tell you what we're going to look forward to is some news or that's coming up next. But uh, what else have we been watching this week as we talk about our week? Well, you know something? I actually went to the movies and I saw The Good House. Uh, okay. which stars Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver. Uh, and Sigourney Weaver, by the way, has like three or four films coming out this fall. She I mean, it's really something demand. else. She's so so in high demand. I love it. Yeah. She, it's, uh, but anyway, the, the Good House is really a rom-com, an adult rom-com, you know, uh, older adult rom-com, okay. if you will. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a very good movie. I would say to our listening audience, you probably want to wait until this comes on a streaming service uh, yeah. because, you know, it's it, it's not a movie you have to see in a movie theater. You know, it's not it's not an epic kind of film. It's a rom-com. An it's adult a rom-com. rom-com. Yeah, it's yeah. a rom-com. And, and, and it, you know, it's one of those films. You'll really enjoy it. It's funny. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's great. Kevin Klein is fantastic. There's some very funny moments. Uh, it's also you know, there's some sadness to it as well uh, as uh, Sigourney Weaver uh, battles uh, some personal demons. So uh, I saw that. Nice. Uh, and then I watched the greatest beer run ever okay, on so Apple th- Plus. That looks, okay? that looks great. Zach Efron, Russell Crowe. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's a decent cast. Uh, I have to tell you, Uh-oh. I didn't think I was going to want to watch this movie. Okay. <laughs> I have to tell you that okay. I sort of saw the title and I was like, Oh, give me a break. Yeah. Right. Bill yeah. Murray's in this, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well. Uh, but I enjoyed this movie because it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And I happened to see an interview with the real life guy who wrote the book that the movie was based on. Mm-hmm. And this was a guy who uh, decided to do a beer run to Vietnam to deliver beer to a group of guys from his neighborhood that were, you know, in Vietnam for the war. Wow. And so, and he was a merchant Marine. So he hopped aboard a ship that went to Saigon and he got off for 72 hours and he, and he, you know, BS his way around the country on, on military flights and whatnot to deliver beer to his buddies, you know, and, uh, and it's really, it it, it was, it was a funny and a poignant movie. Uh, and one that, uh, I think is worth watching. Uh, if you have Apple plus, uh, check it out. The greatest beer run ever. Love it. Zach Efron, Russell Crowe. Um, I never would have, I never would have thought to see those two paired on a marquee together. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, and it's well done. It's a well done movie. And I have to say, you know, uh, aside from the title, uh, it's worth seeing this movie. Well, the beer, the title got me. Yeah. yeah. All you have to and, say is beer. And, and again, I'm like, you know, ba- based on a true story. <laughs> wow, now, I have yeah. to tell you, as I was watching this, I thought to myself, ah, this guy's got to be hyping it a little bit or the filmmakers hyped it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it is based on uh, on fact. Unbelievable. Um, I also uh, watched uh, another episode of Reboot on Hulu. Highly go. recommend it. Really well done. Uh, this is uh, from Steve Levitin, 
who uh, was the co-creator of Modern Family. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would highly recommend this uh, uh, on uh, Hulu reboot. It's funny I that can, he has a, yeah. you know, he has a particular style. When I saw the reboot trailer and like who who's behind it, I was said to myself, well, it looks just like it's shot and it has the same type of framing and it, the same kind yeah. of, uh, the beats are very, very similar. So yeah, sure. it looks, looks great. So, you know, it's funny and, uh, and a good, a good, uh, solid comedy. Right um, I continue to watch Shetland on prime, the more episodes have dropped for season seven. Um, I also watched another episode of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, and it's really starting to get good. It's really starting to come together. The focus, uh, of this series. Um, and I also watched several episodes of bad sisters on uh, Apple plus. Okay. And, you know, this is a really good uh, drama, thriller, oh, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Uh, uh, and it's shot in Ireland. So it's really kind of neat to be able to see um, uh, uh, locations because, you know, Nancy and I lived in Ireland for about a year. And uh, I have to say... Uh, some of the, some of it shot uh, in Malahide, uh, near the Malahide Estuary, where Nancy and I used to go sailing on weekends. Right on. And so um, uh, this is about a group of sisters uh, who take out, and I'm not giving anything away here. This is the premise. Uh, they decide to take out one of the sisters' husbands because he's a real a hole. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> so, man. so, uh, and, and he's really a despicable individual. I have to tell you, right you're on. really rooting for the sisters because this guy is such a control freak and is treating the one sister very badly. Ooh. And, uh, they, they have to just in- intercede and do something for her. Gotcha. So, uh, really, uh, just watched a few episodes. It's uh, very good. Love the cinematography uh in the piece and seeing uh the coast of ireland and dublin and all of that that's beautiful cool that was it what what were you watching well i will say that uh it is halloween time i mentioned this last week and so i'm knee deep in in, in with a wifey to do the halloween rewatch a lot of these are rewatches but uh-huh. uh, we saw the evil dead hereditary candy man <laughs> from uh what is it uh 2021 you know, Aren't we, you watching Chucky? I, you know what, I have yet to, bring, I have yet to bring myself to watch Chucky. He's a <laughs> Chucky. Chucky is at the bottom of my list when it comes to horror. Um, okay, for whatever reason, never really got into the whole you know Bride of Chucky, Chucky phenomenon. Even though John Ritter was in the original one, uh, which I love, uh, the rest of them, not so much. Uh, you know, but. Uh, now that you mention it, I think we will have to give that a shot. We'll see. I'll, I'll see. But uh, we did spend a lot of time uh, watching Disney Plus this week. Werewolf by Night, uh, directed and written by uh, Michael Giacchino, did the music too. Uh, usually, you know, uh, does a lot of Disney Pixar music. Uh, did this one for Marvel Studios. So this is the MCU, and they had a very awesome take. It's a, a it's a short watch. I think it's maybe a little over an hour. Yeah, but, uh, it's shot uh, with that whole 
original monster movie, universal movie vibe, which I love so much. And it's part of the MCU. So it's going to lend itself. I, I, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's great. I love it. The music, the, the vibe is, is awesome. And, and that's on Disney plus Disney plus mm-hmm. part right. of the MCU werewolf by or, night, werewolf by night, which by the way, moon Knight debuted in the werewolf by night comic book. Um, ah. So that's where the whole tie-in is. And uh, Moon Knight was actually tussling with the werewolf by night in episode one. So uh, you'll be able to see that plus a bunch of other secrets that I can't tell you about. Otherwise okay. I'll spoil it. But uh, speaking of uh, stuff that's out of the bag, She-Hulk mm-hmm. uh, brought in more of Matt Murdock, AKA the daredevil in the show. And uh, I absolutely loved it. I don't care what some of the trolls say on the internet. I really like Daredevil. I love the the character. I love the comic book of Daredevil. And I thought that so many scenes were reminiscent of things that you would see in the comic books, which I love. I love to see those little Easter eggs they put in there. But I thought it was fun and uh, looking forward to the last couple episodes of She-Hulk. Andor, of course, uh, continues to deliver for me. It's gritty. It's different than you would expect Star Wars. This is the gritty, gritty side, uh, very much like Rogue One, which I which I yeah. really like. No, I, I, I like it too. And I, I, uh, I have to catch up on the new episodes that have dropped. Yeah. I think it doesn't ring some, some people's bells because of the, the fact that it is different to see this anti-hero, right? Yeah. This anti-hero. Uh-huh. He's, he's dirty and, uh, lower decks on Paramount. Yeah, Plus. But hold on a second. Yeah. Let me just say something. Mm-hmm. The Mandalorian's kind of an anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, but you know, he, you know, he has that, um, he has that turn and change of heart, I guess, you know, and, and yeah. Andor, Andor is really, you know, this is, this is the, the whole rebellion starting. And right. It, and this it, is the lead up to Rogue One. Lead. And, you know, so uh, this war between, you know, the ground uh, swell, all these, these people, I mean, this is the struggle. Um, and I think that's thing, something that uh, they, they tackle very well, I think. Yeah. Awesome. So Lower Decks, a fan of Star Trek like me, you got to love the fact that they poke fun at themselves and it's written so smart. If you like Rick and Morty and Star Trek, you'll love Lower Decks. Um, continues to deliver for me on such a great level. So many great Star Wars, or Star Trek Easter eggs. Boy, I almost got myself in trouble there. And, um, <laughs> and then I saw Smile. Um, <laughs> Smile is in theaters. Paramount Pictures put this out. Um, teaser uh, was put out. I think Thursday saw it in a, saw it in a theater and uh, I I really love the trailer <laughs> and I'm very confused at the end. It uh, I don't know. I think I should have waited to stream it. It didn't do it for you, huh? I don't know. It's it, a lot of people scored very highly, Dave. Yeah, but um, but it not just for you. It just didn't hit the mark. Everything was great, okay. and then it's funny how a film can be so great up until like the last act of the film. Yeah. And then yeah. it just doesn't do it at all. But it's not, it's been number one now for two weekends. Well, we're going to talk about that, right? So, so moving into this next segment Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. It really is the perfect film smile to uh, kind of usher in the, the Halloween season, if you will. Um, so this reached what total of 49 million in week two for the weekend uh totals of 16.8 million so smile there you go i mean it's a it's a it's there 
yeah. <laughs> what yeah. else can I say, man? But I mean, the, it's not the actors' fault. I feel like the actors did so well in this film. You know, they're they're actors I'm not really familiar with. So right. I really, I really like, I really like them. It's just that last act, man. Just, just didn't, didn't do it for, do it for you. Now it's got a seventy-four percent, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is really good. And uh, it looks like comicbook.com gave him a three out of five. So you see, that's kind of how I feel. It's a three out of five. Huh? Okay. All yeah, right. Fair enough. Good. But, um, you know, Lyle Al Crocodile, Amsterdam's in the mix as well. Uh, they only scored like Lyle Al Crocodile. I don't know if you've seen this at all. But 12, no, I have not. 12 million bucks. I have no desire. Um, Amsterdam looks like a great cast. 6.9 million. The Woman King uh, in week four. Total 54 million over the weekend. 5.1. But um, here's something for you, Dave. You know, they re-released Avatar. Why would they do this, Dave? Well. They just need something in the theater? You know, I mean, I think they re-released it in anticipation of the next Avatar movie coming out. Well, yeah, I guess. Way of the water. I guess. 2.6 million. You know, know, I, I, I can say, I can say this. I really am not into Avatar. Yeah, not into it. It's. I mean, I liked it better when it was called Pocahontas, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) You you know something? I I have to say, I saw Avatar when it first released in a movie theater. Yep. Uh, And you know, look, I liked it. I wasn't over the top about it. Uh, You know, I thought I thought James Cameron uh, did a really good job on it. Uh, It obviously resonated with audiences when it first came out. The question is 2.6 million for a re-release. Yeah. And uh, that's in anticipation of the uh, theatrical release of uh, the second one. Yikes. Yeah. Talk about dipping your foot in. Boy. Yikes. They must be nervous. They've got to be. They've got to be nervous. You got to be. Uh, also in the mix as well is a, is a movie we're going to talk about in a, in a minute is bros. So uh, bros over the weekend over week two uh, scored 2.3 million over a total of 9 million. We're going to talk more about that. Um, so let's move into some other news here. You know, the other headline news is that uh, black Panther Wakanda forever broke the internet with their big trailer this is the big trailer anticipating that new movie. It's going to be in theaters here in a few weeks. November 11th is when it drops. And they showed someone in a Black Panther costume. Who is right. it? Who is it? Yeah, so I know. Wants I to know. know. The internet was I, I, I did watch the trailer uh, just before we, we started the show. Awesome. And, uh, it, you know, it's a great trailer. Uh, uh, this is going to be another one to see on a big screen. Angela epic, ba- epic. Let, let me say something. A- Angela Bassett, to me, she just owns the screen no matter where she's, no matter what, what scene she's in. She just, she swallows she, you whole. Yeah, yeah, and you know something? She has an intensity about her. She's so damn good, Dave. You know, she. it's like she's riveting. You know, yeah. because you just can't take your eyes off of her when she's on the screen. No, she is so good. No, I, I keep on looking at that trailer and I go, my God, isn't that just, you know, so commanding? Yeah, it's I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how she does it. You know, just like I feel the same way uh, about, you know, actresses like uh, Sigourney Weaver and stuff like that. Yeah, like to yeah. just they do so much with their face and it's you can see their inner workings. It's 
great. Yeah. Anyway, Wakanda forever. Hey, she, yeah, she's another one we'd love to have on the show if she's listening. Oh you know, gosh. just reach out to us. We'll we'll get you booked. Absolutely. Of course, the rest <laughs> of the rest of the cast is great. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, Angela Bassett. There's a reason why she's the best. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy ride making a Christmas makeover. Don't they mean holiday makeover, Dave? Ahead uh, <laughs> of wow, the Disney that, Plus. That's got to be a slip up. Huh? Uh, holiday special, <laughs> yeah, for a holiday special. So. Um, I love the fact that, you know, you've got these cosmic rewinds getting, you know, over Walt Disney World is getting a festive makeover for the holidays, which is which is great. I love it when the parks do something where they do those overlays, like the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas over right. there at Disneyland, yeah. over Tokyo Disney. I love that so much. Yeah. And uh, even the uh, the Jungle Cruise gets a little bit of a, a jingle, you know, jingle cruise kind of thing going on, which I really yep. dig. Yep. That's fun. Um, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. Now, here here we are. We're here talking about bros. We talked about the box office over the weekend. It just launched to $4.8 million. Uh, but the actors saying one theater chain threatened to pull the trailer because of the content, uh, citing homophobia. I mean, wow, Dave. You, you know, the, this is kind of interesting. You know, I've read a number of articles in the trades uh, about why this movie didn't do as well as it did, you know, and, uh, or as well as some had expected it to do. Yeah. You know, Billy Eicher, Eichner uh, yeah. is, uh, you may be familiar with him from Billy on the Street. Yep. Uh, you know, he does a sort of man on the street interviews with people. Uh, and it's very funny. I've watched a bunch of those, you know, he's a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he wrote, uh, and stars in, uh, this basically gay rom-com. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it did a face plant opening weekend. It did $4.6 million. Yeah. I mean, really tanked. Yeah. I mean, embarrassingly so. And Billy took to Twitter. Uh, and frankly was bitchy about it. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, was calling people homophobics and, you know, middle America and this and that. And I don't think that's really fair. You yeah. know, I haven't seen the movie. Um, and you know, I may see it when it comes on the streaming service, mm -hmm. but you know, rom-coms in general, you can watch them on your television. Right. You know, if you got a good flat panel screen on the wall, watch it at home. But what was interesting about this is that, and, they, and one of the articles I read did a comparison with the woman King. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so the, the, uh, the lead in the woman King. Yes. She took to Twitter and said, you know, come to the, come see this movie so that we can make more of these kinds of stories. Yep. Right. Strong black leads. Right. Yes. And a lot of black celebrities bought out movie theaters and gave the tickets away. Yep. For people to come in and see them, see the movie for free. Yes. Right. Yep. And so that movie's done reasonably well because of the way that they, you know, handled it. Yep. Billy, on the other hand, just expected it to be number one at the box office and a big success. And when it wasn't got really, you know, nasty on Twitter and snarky and bitchy, as I said, and uh, the bottom line is 
Even the gay community didn't come out for this movie. Right. Well, right. They didn't even support it. So, so what does that say? Why do you, why, why do entertainers have to alienate people? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, know, I I, I think one of, one of the articles I read said he basically was wagging his finger at people telling you, you have to go see this movie. Oh no. And, and that's just wrong, you know? And I think he shot himself in the foot in the way he handled it. And, uh, and there's also subject matter in there that is offensive to some people. Sure. Well, you know, well, you're not going to, you know, my mom always told me, Dave, you'll attract more flies with honey. That's right. And I think and what they did with the woman, true. I think what they did with the woman King was absolutely what they, they should do. First of all, Viola Davis is, is amazing anyway. So yeah. she, and rightfully so the rest of the cast and of the film is, is great. And it's in my queue. Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get to it after, after Halloween subsides. Cause I'm, yeah, <laughs> but, and, but, and you know, something with bros, you know, the bottom line here is, uh, that, you know, Billy could have gone and handled this completely differently. Yeah. Come out and support you know? the film so we can yeah. make more content. He, he like could have, he could have rallied some gay celebrities. They could have bought out theaters. They could have given away tickets. They yes. could have gotten people to come in. They could have made a party around the whole film. But he he chose a different path, and and he's he's paying for it. Well, let's take a look at IMDb. It scored a six point seven out of ten out of the people that watch it, and there were right. over nine thousand people who voted that way. Okay, that's on so average it's six point so, seven, yeah, almost a, a seven, almost a seven. So I mean, it's a respectable, uh, respectable IMDb, you know, number, number. for people. Yeah, it's like, why don't you just, you know, capitalize on that? It's got a Metascore rating of seventy-seven. Look, I, I try not to be persuaded by scores like that, but if I'm on yeah. the fence about watching a film, I'll look it up on on flicks or I'll look it up uh-huh. here on IMDb to see how other people have seen it and read the. I do read the reviews, yeah. and and that puts me over the edge if I'm going to see it or not, and. Um, if someone in the cast disparages other people from watching the film, especially the the creator of it, it doesn't make endear them to me at all. No, it, not it, at it just all. Doesn't. I'm just not telling you the truth. I, I mean, mean, he's, yeah. he's taking a broad brush, you know, he's claiming middle America didn't, didn't go see it and, you know, didn't want to see it. And they're all homophobics. Well, I, you know, I tend to disagree with that. Yeah, I, 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 you do know, too. I, I think mean, everybody, honestly, will, Everybody wants to give films a chance, uh, I think, a fair shake. But I think there's, a, but but there is a way to promote projects, and there's a way not to, and that is a way not to. I think you endear yourself by by saying that we worked really hard on this film. It's got some great content, and please support it so we can put more content like this out there. I mean, that's the bottom yeah. line, that's and that is the it. bottom line. Yeah, that's you how know? you promote it. Hey, listen, you know, Universal took a chance and uh, and made this movie. Uh, they're trying to make films in Hollywood for underrepresented uh, uh, communities. Sure. Uh, and not all of them are going to resonate. Not all of them are going to uh, do well. That's well, the bottom line. You know what, Dave? They should have had Jerry Bruckheimer come in and blow some <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, just blow it up. And then, and then everybody would come. I, actually, that's not true because not everybody comes out for that. But now you're going to have to bleep yourself. I'm going to have to totally bleep myself. Uh, let's talk about the recent passing of Judy Tenuta. 
Uh, Judy Tenuta, brash love goddess comedian, dies at 72. You know, I was a big fan of of Judy Tenuta growing up, as well as George Carlin. Uh, they built their career in the golden age of comedy back in the 80s. And she passed at the age of 72 this past Thursday. And she, to me, was hilarious. And I absolutely loved her growing up. And um, what a great life. That's all she I was a very, say. very funny lady. And this was very surprising when I saw this. Um, I, I had no idea. And, and, and when I did see that she passed, I thought to myself, gosh, I hadn't seen her in a number of years doing anything, Yeah, you know, and and apparently she had been ill and battling ovarian cancer. It's, uh, it's so sad. Um, but I will say that she's brought so much light and love into the world. And, uh, I can't stop thinking about her ever since her passing, um, weird Al Yankovic who worked with her for many years, uh, said on her, his Twitter devastated to hear the passing of my dear friend, the lovely miss Judy Tenuta. Can't believe she's gone. Of course they worked together on her, uh, 1990s TV series and 2006 music video. Um, so it's, it's super sad, but, uh, yeah. go back on YouTube and please experience Judy Tenuta. If you don't know who she is, she's amazing. She's left a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of work behind, you know, a lot of stuff that you can still enjoy. 100%. Um, and then also another, another passing, uh, another great dies at the age of 95. This is Robert Brown from here comes the brides. I remember uh, this TV show. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Bobby Sherman. Go for it. You want to you want to talk a no, little no, bit? No, no. But I mean, it was it, it, it was uh, who who was the other one? It was Bobby Sherman and oh, have mercy, uh, man. I, I I can't even remember now. But uh, it was uh, David Soul, the singer, right? Yeah, David Soul from uh, for Starsky and Hutch, Starsky and, and Hutch, Bobby yeah. Sherman were the sons, uh, along with uh, um, Robert Brown uh bobby uh yeah robert brown and uh you know something that that series only ran for a couple of years uh and uh brown was 95 i mean he had an incredible uh career you might remember him as the character named lazarus uh on the 1967 star star trek episode the alternate factor uh, yeah, I remember that. Well, the alternative uh, the factor, alternative I should factor. say. Yeah. Um, and that's good stuff. Uh, you know, he he was originally slated to be uh, Steve McGarrett in uh, the original high, uh, high Hawaii Five O. Boy, right? I can't talk. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> uh, he was he was supposed to be the uh, he was supposed yeah. to be Steve McGarrett on the original Hawaii Five O. That crazy. But he was replaced at the last minute, uh, like five days before they started filming the pilot, by Jack Lord. Unbelievable, uh, right? And uh, but anyway, uh, he had an amazing career. Uh, you know, he did a ton of movies and TV shows, and uh, what a great life! Ninety five, he leaves behind a big body of work. Robert Brown, here comes the bride's actor. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. So go back and relive some of that. Uh, I think I'm gonna pop in some. Uh, here comes the bride's here. Uh, just to, just to remember some of that, because I remember seeing that growing up, but once again, you know, it's one of those things that you see in reruns and things like that. You don't really, I haven't even, you know, even thought about that show until this moment, you know, so it's been years, but it's a great show. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. 
Well, Al John, I'm excited because I've been waiting for this interview for months. We've got uh, Kevin Kidney, who's an art director, illustrator, writer, show designer, sculptor, puppeteer, and maker of things, which I really love. Kevin, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. And you see, our studio audience goes wild. You know? Wow. Yeah, thank you, everybody in the studio audience. Um, it's, it's good to be here. Hey, Kevin, I, I'm really thrilled. And I and I do want to just preface this with our listening audience by saying that Kevin and I spoke many months ago because I interviewed Kevin for my upcoming book on House of the Future. And we had a wonderful conversation. And after that, I said, hey, would you come on to the Skull Rock podcast and be a guest and let us interview you so all of our listeners could hear all these fabulous stories that you told me. Uh, and, and so with that, I want to start at the beginning. Who's Kevin Kidney? Where'd you grow up? And how did you get into art? <laughs> wow. OK. <laughs> And I have one minute. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I I was born in Anaheim, but which sounds really you know very uh, you know re ready already ready to work at Disney. But I uh, uh, we moved to Arizona when I was very young, and um, but my relatives, my grandparents, lived out here in Anaheim and stuff. So we would come out at Christmas time and go to Disneyland, and um, so I just I. You know, I grew up with Disneyland. I always wanted to uh, to work there. And as a little kid, I think I told my mom that I wanted to live there, probably when I was about three, in the Swiss Family Treehouse. And um, uh, so, yeah, I practically did. I mean, I, I just sort of set my little kid goals to being an artist. I had the Christopher Finch Art of Walt Disney book that somebody gave me for Christmas, a really kind relative. And I was uh, blown away by... Um, those photographs of human beings making um, Disney, you know, making the films and building Disneyland and, and all I, of that. I, I, you know, something I we've, we've had a number of guests who mentioned Christopher Finch's book, uh, and, and it really is a classic. I, you wow. know, it's one I recommend our listeners to, to you know, if you find a copy in a in a used bookstore or something, you should absolutely get it. it it's really terrific. But I want to ask you this question. What's your earliest memory of being at Disneyland? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'm, it's cut. My mind is kind of polluted because I've seen old photographs that my parents have taken of me as a very small kid. So I don't really have a firsthand memory of, of those photos, even though there I am in small world and things like that. But I do remember having an absolute meltdown as a little child, um, terrified to go into the haunted mansion. I think I even sat right on the ground uh, outside and told them I wasn't going in. <laughs> that, that's awesome. That no, is I awesome. I remember that. I remember that. Uh, but you know what? I always had kind of a, um, you know, I always felt like somehow or another we had a secret in with Disneyland because my grandfather who lived out here in, uh, in Anaheim, he was a, a, a union plumber. And he got an amazing job in the 60s uh, at Disneyland working in this big hole down in New Orleans Square where they were putting in this amazing water ride. And he didn't really know what the story was behind the ride because he wasn't a, a Disney employee and it was all top secret. So he was just following the plans that they gave him and uh, installing, you know, this huge a uh, maze of water pipes and pumps and drains. And he put in um, uh, one waterfall, 
uh, which has probably been, the pump's probably been replaced several times over the decades. But uh, um, uh, anyway, of course, when Pirates of the Caribbean opened, uh, he and my grandmother went over there and wrote it and were absolutely ecstatic. And he was so proud that he had worked on something so amazing. And so as a child, I always just told all my kids, all my friends at school that my grandfather made Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, as a little kid, that's really how it's elevated, right? You know, it's like your your world is is sort of, you know, small at that point. And so your grandfather worked on Pirates? Oh, he did Pirates. Oh, he made it. He made it. I told everybody. I believed it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, but I, gosh, I, you know, young memories. I remember um, that, uh, you know, my dad always liked to have breakfast as soon as we got into the park. So we would always go to the Riverbell Terrace or whatever. And my brother and I would be so annoyed because we wanted to go ride rides immediately, you know, but we had to sit down and eat pancakes and it took forever. And my dad's like, when I finish my coffee, <laughs> it probably wasn't that bad, but it seems worse than my, you know, to us when we were little kids. But, and, 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 you know, as you grew up, you obviously were going to Disneyland at least once a year, uh, right? Yeah. About every other year <clears throat> we would come out for Christmas. Um, and, uh, uh, we would go the day after Christmas and it was great because, it, you know, back in those days, it wasn't crowded like it is now. Now yeah. everybody goes at Christmas, but uh, the, the major holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas were actually really slow days because everybody was doing their holiday stuff. And, right. Uh, those were the good days to go uh, at Disneyland. Now, I don't think so. But uh, but back then it was it was amazing. Right now, I think the only good day to go is when it's raining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. It doesn't rain anymore. <laughs> I know. So you know, as you you know, you got that Christopher Finch book. Did, were you drawing on your own? Did you have an art teacher who kind of you know took you took a, you under his wing? Uh, you know, how how did your talent develop as you were growing up? Well, I uh, yes, I did start drawing, and uh, I was always making things. I was really. You know, I was inspired by Disneyland a lot. I love the characters in uh, America Sings. Um, Really, just all those geese and those alligators and, um, you know, just all those wonderful characters were so fun. And the foxes, those incredible foxes. Um, And so I would come home and I would make, I you know, I was kind of obsessed with those characters for a long time and drawing them and uh, making my own little versions of them and stuff. And I kind of got into puppets. Um, as a high, In high school, my job became a puppeteer. I had built a puppet theater and puppets and everything and um, performed at parties and stuff like that, made a little, <laughs> a little wage off of that. Um, so, I, you know, those were kind of the things that I was, I was uh, making, I think, as a kid. And as a teacher, you, you mentioned teachers. I had one incredible teacher uh, once I finally got into high school. Um, I was in theater and got into theater design because I figured that maybe that was how you uh, became an Imagineer was you learned to design for the theater. So um, I was designing uh, sets for a lot of the the school plays and all of that. And this one teacher um, gave me some hints on how to build uh, miniature models of my of my stage set designs out of paper because of course I had no money and paper was great because if you messed up, you just wadded it up and start over. And it wasn't, you know, a horrible expense. 
Um, <clears throat> so uh, I really love that. I just fell in love with cutting paper, manipulating paper. Um, you know, and when I say paper, I mean like more, more like heavy bristol board yeah. of, uh, of paper and stuff. So I really got into that and um, loved, um, I, you know, even to this day, I, I, I have such an affinity for working with paper. And you do a lot of paper sculptures. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I've been so lucky. And that's all, that all stems back to that one teacher. And, and are those, are those paper sculptures that you do today, are, are those things that you sell or are you doing them for pleasure? Um, I or, both, really, or both. <laughs> yeah. I only take jobs that I think give me pleasure at this point, you know, uh, but they are um, sometimes, you know, Sometimes the, the paper sculpture is uh, stuff that's in a, a frame box that people can hang on the wall, but it's rare that I end up doing those types of things. Most of the paper sculpture that I do is stuff that gets photographed for advertising or um, covers for, you know, a, a magazine or something like that. Um, or uh, with Disney, you know, it became sort of like, you know, skipping way, 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 way ahead in our story. Uh, Jody and I designed the Mickey Sensational Parade at Disneyland. And that was based uh, mostly on my paper sculptures as far as the style, the style. Okay. So, so I uh, a lot of stuff. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to sort of move that off because I have some questions about that, but I'm going to move <laughs> that to a little bit later in our conversation because mm -hmm. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the fact you, you know, you were in high school, you had a great teacher in the theater department. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, when we were in high school, that's when there was still art departments and theater yeah. departments, right? Because a lot right. of that stuff's been cut out of high schools uh, uh -huh. as we know it today. Um, but but usually when you talk to people of our generation, there there is a, a teacher that impacted us in high school. I know I had one and I know many other artists who who have similar stories. <clears throat> Did that person help point you in a direction? Uh, and give you advice on, you know, continuing your education after high school? Um, I think so. Um, and her name was Ms. Kerwin, uh, Marie Kerwin. And uh, she uh, was amazing, amazing. Loved by all the, all the students there. You know, a real fun, um, funny person who, uh, who ran the art department, uh, sorry, the, uh, the theater department and, uh, directed some of the school plays and all that. Everybody knew her. And, um, I think, so I think that, uh, you know, at that point in high school, I start to realize there was a big world out there that you could, you know, I could be a part of and that, uh, that you just had to sort of hone, hone your, uh, skills and your, your sights on, on, uh, those things. And where, where did you ultimately go to art school or college? I went to the University of Arizona because okay. I lived out there in Arizona. And uh, sure. I actually, um, I had applied for Cal Arts and stuff, super hard to get into. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it actually didn't really matter. You know, I didn't end up going to Cal Arts. I wanted to, but uh, uh, I studied in college. I had uh, I had a major, which was just radio and television because I needed to have something that, um, you know, my dad thought was, very uh that you could you, you could make a living you, you could make, make a living, living guys <laughs> correct. correct and then that crazy art idea you know was sort of relegated to my minor uh, which i had a split minor of um uh film animation and um scenic design for theater 
So uh, with those things, uh, I were really, you know, with those, that was where all my passion was, was there in my minor. And uh, I put together a portfolio and came out to Anaheim with it uh, the day after I graduated from, uh, from college. And, uh, and I got hired right, like right away. Now, now, where did you get hired? In the uh, Disneyland Entertainment Art Department. Okay. So t- tell us about that because, you know, I, I, I spent, you know, decades in the Disney Animation Department and I did some work with Imagineering, but I never really knew what all the departments were down at Disneyland. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that <laughs> and what they did. Yeah, same here. I didn't know. It was all, you know, I just thought, Disney was uh, an, either if you were an artist, you were an animator or you designed rides at Disneyland. I didn't think I didn't ever really think, oh, my gosh, there's people who design everything, you know, merchandise and uh, um, parades and shows and photo locations and posters. And I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. Right. Um, a- anything that had a graphic to it. Yeah. Signage. You just, I mean, I mean it goes on and yeah. on, right? It goes on and on. I mean, yeah. Disney encompasses just about every art, you know, yeah. I mean, you can find that thing that you do, you know, if you sew, if you paint, if you sculpt, if you draw, if you, whatever, it, there's a place for you. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, there was a, I was, if you have ever heard of the, uh, Disney college program, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was actually in the very first year of that. So I was the guinea pig of the college program and, um, there was, um, you could, I had heard about something called an informational interview, you know, where you, you aren't interviewing for a job, but you're in, interviewing them to find out what the job is. And, uh, though I started doing some of those and I'm amazed that, uh, you know, a lot of the, these important people in their offices with their busy schedules and everything actually took the time to, <laughs> to no, but you know, something, those things are so great because people ultimately love to talk about themselves. Yeah. I mean, we're doing an informational interview with you, <laughs> right. right? And you're sitting here smiling and laughing and you're having a ball because you're telling us how you got to where you are and we're enjoying it because we're finding out information. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it is. It is very easy. Yeah, it was very easy to get one of those uh, those interviews, and they were they were fun. They were fun, and also the best part of it was that you got to you had an excuse to meet someone. You know, you could actually meet a person who was in charge of a department, and you had a one on one, and they knew you, and they got a idea of your personality. And of course, they'd want to see your portfolio and all of this sort of stuff. So, informational interviews, I highly recommend them to any any kid out there who's wanting to uh, get a job, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking to set up a real job interview, but one of these is, is, uh, is, is very whole different thing. Yeah. Because there's no pressure on you. There's no, pressure. there's no pressure on anybody. The person you're talking to and interviewing, you know, the, the, they know you're not asking for a job. You're just asking, well, how'd they get there and what yeah. do they do? You know, and they're interested in, in knowing what you're doing and Hey, let me take a look at your portfolio, but there, there's no expectation of I'm here for a job, you know? Right. So it takes this whole layer of pressure off of that kind of interaction. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. So uh, my interview was with Claire Graham. You know that name? Claire sounds, Graham. Sounds familiar. He was, uh, he's not at Disney uh, uh, anymore, but he was at um, 
uh, he was in charge of the entertainment art department and worked there for a long time. He'd been in the character department uh, as a performer for a long time before that. And um, he worked, uh, you know, if you look at some of those old, old, old Disney um, before the Disneyland line, when it was like the Disney news or whatever they called it, um, they, uh, there's some, there's some great old articles of him working uh, on um, the uh, America on parade in 1976 and uh, all of that sort of stuff. So he did a lot of, a lot of fun, you know, historic Disney parades and and, and there were there was a, a my understanding a lot of people who were entertainers initially at the park who kind of age out of especially when you're a dancer right because yeah, yeah. a, a dancer's performing life is is relatively short yeah uh, but a lot of those people sort of age out of the actual performing and and go into management or behind the scenes don't yeah, they they do and they still do you yeah. know a lot of the people that I uh, <clears throat> had met you know, as performers way back when are now in charge of whole departments. <laughs> when we work on projects, uh, you know, with uh, new parades and things like that for Disneyland, we go over there and have a meeting and it's all of our old friends uh, now in charge of things who, uh, you know, had uh, just, uh, like you said, worked as worked in the stage shows and, uh, and all that. And I think that's a cool thing because I, I, I think nowadays one of the things that's happening at Disney is they're, their uh, institutional memory is eroding uh, severely, but in those pockets where there's people who are, you know, aging out of performing and going into management, there's still that, that um, institutional knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, and you know, this kind of makes me think I've always thought that um, the people who seem to stick around at Disney for the longest time, you know, the ones who are just there for forever and ever and ever are really the ones who, um, you know, they're really the ones who wanted to work there the most, I think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and um, it's, a, it's not just a job for them. They're not, you know, when the next higher paycheck from another company comes, you know, uh, and they, they leave, um, that that's usually not our story. You know, we're, we're there for the long haul until <laughs> they kick us out. <laughs> you <know>? Exa- exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a lot of the artists, you know, all through, all through my career at Disney in all the different art departments I've worked in, the artists had the most longevity, um, and the, um, you know, the VPs above us and all the managers above us were constantly changing almost yeah. every other year. They were coming and going and climbing the ladder. And we, we were there, we were just there designing year in and year out, you know? <laughs> and, and, and when you were in that department, how long, how long did you stay there? And did you move to another department uh, after a while? Yeah. So I was at Disneyland as a designer for about 10 years. Um, my first big job was, um, uh, to design fan, uh, Fantasmic, original Fantasmic with uh, Tom Butch. Tom Butch was the art director and I was sort of assigned to him as his assistant and uh, making models and um, graphics and flat art and I don't know, like tons of tons of stuff. But the two of us really were, you know, for a long time, just the, the artist behind Fantasmic. Uh, and uh, that was really exciting, except... At the time, we didn't think it was going to last, you know, more than a couple of years. Um, it wasn't really a show that we thought, oh, this is going to, you know, this is going to be in the park for 30 years. So do a good job. You know, we just uh, we just worked on it thinking this is a, a you know, a, a summertime water show out on the lake, out on the river. And uh, 
uh, and it'll eventually go away and be replaced with something else like everything else that we did. But it just it just keeps getting refreshed. It just keeps yes, it keeps keeps. Yeah, you know, it, it gets refreshed with the new technology. Yeah, and I I even did a little work on it. Uh, just a- absolutely, uh, very small amount, but it was it, it was supplying higher res animation clips for the water screens. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. So you know, during one of the revamps, I don't know when that was, it was probably 20 years ago. <laughs> oh gosh. I remember the first time going into that, uh, projection, I don't know what you call it, projection space, uh, yeah. out on Tom Sawyer Island. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, you know, the film was, uh, wasn't digital. It was uh, film and uh, in a cabinet, in a cabinet with a million little pulleys and wheels and the and you could watch this endless loop belt of film, you know, travel like around the room. It was amazing. I, it, I, it, it really, it, it still is, you know, and that's, that's how they did Soren at uh, California <laughs> Adventure when they first opened Soren. If you've ever gone up into the projection booth for Soren, there, there's this massive cabinet. It, it, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's huge. And, and the entire film loop is just woven through it over <laughs> all of these, up and down and you know, up and forth. down over all of these pulleys. <laughs> yeah. And it's just this one, like five minute loop of film, you know, <laughs> right. and it's insane. Now, now of course it's all digital projection and it's coming yeah. off a server, but I mean, <laughs> can you imagine that's how they would do it? That's how they did all of these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, before um, Mission to Mars closed, yeah. um, Steve Davison and I were doing some project. I don't know what it was, but we it was a long time ago. But he and I uh, were walking around in Tomorrowland in all the backstage areas and exploring for for some project. And um, um, Mission to Mars was closed, but we went in and we were exploring. I think we we're just looking at how how it how it worked you know, just to figure it out. <clears throat> it had one of those cabinets with all the film, uh, several of them, because there were different screens. But what I thought was amazing was that the films were then <laughs> bounced off of mirrors. Do you know about this? Like big mirrors no. that would project them and then bounce them onto different screens and things like that. So to get them around the room or, you know. Oh, uh, to do the to, to do the 360. Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I had no idea that that's pretty wild. It was wild. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so you did Fantasmic, yeah. and then and then what, what what was next? Uh, I think it was probably uh, well, I was working on Fantasmic at the same time that I was working on Party Gras. Remember the Party Gras parade with the big balloons? Disneyland no. big. It was what, like what, you, what year is that? Uh, it was Disneyland's thirty fifth anniversary parade. It was. Mardi Gras themed <clears throat> with big and uh, inflatable characters. So, so what's that? 1990. 1990. Yeah. Okay. There was like a Karma Miranda mini and I'm sure you've seen all these things. I, I, I'm sure I have, but, yeah. uh, I, 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 but uh, you know, I will admit to you, Kevin, I'm going to admit this. Uh, <laughs> the first time I ever went to Disneyland was in 1980. <laughs> wow. Because I didn't, I didn't grow up in Southern California. I grew up in New York. Oh, so so, you so I didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I, I was actually, I had visited Disney World twice <laughs> before I ever went to Disneyland. Wow! And and I I went to Disneyland the first year I came out to go to Cal Arts. Oh wow! Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> you know, so so all I would say is I had I did not have a lot of experience at Disneyland in those years. Oh well. 
Yeah, a lot happened. You know, back in those days, we would do a new parade for almost every summer. Um, right. It always changed. There would be a different uh, promotion. So if there was a new movie coming out, we would design a parade for it or whatever. And uh, we were... A- anniversaries, different themes. and Yeah. 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 Snow White anniversary. I'm trying to think of all the things. I, I mean, you know, and I met Jody around that that time. Uh, working on parades and this now what now now talk about Jody for a second. I, I yeah. just want our listeners to know who Jody is because you do have the Kevin and Jody company and the Kevin and Jody show. Yeah. And we're gonna get to all of that. But just hey. br- briefly tell us uh who Jody is. Okay. Well uh Jody is not here right now. Otherwise he would be on the uh a part of this podcast as well. But um so Jody's another artist uh, that, um, we became great, great, good friends back in the nineties, um, forwarding, fast forwarding way into the future. We actually got married. Um, we have our own business together, which we call Kevin and Jody show. Our last name is not show. It's just called Kevin and Jody show. Um, and, um, is it the Kevin and Jody show or Kevin and Jody show? Yeah, I think we just, it's just, I think our page is Kevin and Jody Jody show. show. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I think it was, it's from somebody once complained that everything we get involved with, it turns into the Kevin and Jody show. (laughs) So you embraced (laughs) it. Yeah. So we're like, well, we'll take that. Yeah. So that became our company. So, so so let me ask you this. What is the Kevin and Jody show? And this is an aside. We're going to get back to all all the Disneyland (laughs) stuff, but what is the Kevin and Jody show briefly? It's our little studio here in Anaheim, not open to the public. Um, it's a two story little building that we work in, um, that, uh, we have designed, I'd say a dozen parades for Disney theme parks around the world inside of, um, and we have, um, created animated series, uh, for Amazon, for Scholastic Books. We've worked on television commercials. We've worked on, um, many, so, many merchandise so, items. So you guys are independent now. You're, yeah. you, you're your own business and That's companies, right. companies come to you to do stuff. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, and you're, you have the luxury of picking and choosing those projects that you want to work on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's veer back to your designing parades for Disneyland. Okay. So yeah, we did lots of them. Um, Hercules parade. We worked on Lion King parade. Um, Oh, now God. you were you were doing those parades back then as an employee of the company. Yes. Okay. And uh, and so there was always a show designer. When did did you become a show designer, or were you always taking on a certain you know role on doing those parades? Um, back in those days, we weren't really, we were, you know, we were part of the the team, the team, right. There's always a, there's always a big team, but, and there's one person who's the kind of show designer, right. Or the show lead. Yeah. We did not have any projects, uh, at that point, uh, in our careers where we were the show designer leads, you know, We, we were just designing elements or, uh, puppets or, um, you know, like on Fantasmic. I like, like all the components that go into components. something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it wasn't until actually after we left uh, being Disney cast members, Disney employees, that we started getting uh, really great jobs des- as uh, as art directors. Right. Them. So you, you became the show designer, art yeah. director, and coming up with the concept for whatever the show was that they came to you and said, hey, we need a show in Tokyo. Could you do this? Yes, that's right. 
and I just pulled Tokyo out of, out of, <laughs> out of the air. I don't know if you did a show yeah. in Tokyo, oh, but I'm imagining did, but you, I'm imagining you did. <laughs> we, have, we have done several. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, and, and you know, so I, I, I do want to interject here and just say to, to our listeners, when these kinds of parades or nighttime spectaculars are done, there are literally hundreds of people involved yeah. in doing these things. I know like I worked with Steve Davison, who was the show, the, the, the uh, show designer for uh, world of color, yeah. you know, and I worked with him, but you know, I did just the animation projections for the show. There were so many other people that were doing fountains and lighting and, you know, just the, the water screens and projections. And there's just so many moving parts to these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. It's huge. <laughs> it's just- it, it really is. I, and, you know, and I'm imagining, you know, having been involved with it, it's kind of like putting a film together. It's kind of chaos. You know, uh, like organized chaos. It it is. It's like, uh, and you know, we be uh, when we work on a parade, say for example, um, you know, we work on a parade for like a year and a half before they even have auditions. Right. So imagine when the performers come in. You know, that really when the per, when the parade finally opens and all the performers are out there, it really belongs to them. They're the ones putting it on, and they have the, you know, all eyes are really on the performers. Are our, all the work that we did becomes sort of the background, you know, it's the, it, well, it's the sets, the sets. They're, they're, they're moving yeah. sets. Yeah. The moving sets. Yeah. Um, but for a long time, you know, it's a very, it's kind of a small cut down group of our, our meetings of maybe uh, 10 or, you know, 10 or 15 people. That doesn't sound small, but it is pretty small compared to what it grows into. Uh, but you don't have, excuse me, you don't end up having like the choreographer there yet and, um, and stuff like that. It's just the designers and the director and um, Steve Davison, who is the, the big, the big uh, art director for he, He's the big kahuna for the parades now, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. 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 yeah it's amazing. I, I know I should get him on the show at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I see Al John smiling. I really should, you know, so <laughs> I, I work with him so much. Yeah, he must have like a stomach of iron just to be, you know, handle all the stress. I would have ulcers and, uh, you know. Well, you know, what's amazing. Is, and this was something I was going to ask you about is that you spend a year and a half on this stuff and you, you know, you're building models of the floats and all of these sets is moving set pieces. Uh, but at some point you do have an executive come in uh, and sometimes they can throw a wrench into things. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, we've all experienced it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, I am trying to think if we ever had a wrench thrown. Well, in when it. I say a wrench, you you get notes and it's sort of like, oh, you want that to go in there. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, things like that do happen. Yeah. And, you know, we, we always over design. I think at the beginning, like Jody did a lot of designs for I'm back on Mickey Sensational again, just because it's in my brain here. But. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a parade that was based around Disney music. So it had different styles of music, um, in the parade. It had, um, uh, you know, sort of, um, jazz, it had a jazz unit. It had, um, the sort of a, uh, Latino unit with the three caballeros. And, uh, I'm just trying to think of all the different styles we had, but Anyway, anyone who is familiar with that parade knows that there's a lot of different styles of music. And um, so a lot of these parade floats were much more elaborate, you know, things things that we thought, 
well, let's just design it and see if uh, if it'll make it in the parade. And the parades usually kind of get cut down as budgets, you know, become reality and uh, people find out how much things are really going to cost and stuff like that. But um, but that's part of the process because I think one one of the one of the great things I think about working at Disney is that you sort of have that freedom to think you know uh, large think outside yeah. the box you know put all the great ideas out there and then you do have those reality checks where you're like okay well you know we may not be able to do that because of the budget you know so yeah. well that's a great idea how could we do something that is similar or has the flavor of that, that we could do for less. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, ideas, it, it, it does uh, challenge you. Sure. And I just get saved and they show up 10 years later at a meeting, <laughs> you know, maybe we can try to do this again. They always get recycled. It's, yeah. I mean, all, there's so many ideas at that company that get recycled or put on a shelf and then picked off the shelf five, 10, 20 years later. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What what do you think about the parades? I mean, I, I've never given a lot of thought about it, but you, you're in the thick of doing these parades every year. Uh, what does it mean to the guests? And what what's your observations of why there are parades at Disney? Wow. Um, you know, I don't, I've never thought about why, you know, they've been there since day one. There was yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, it's like, it's like small town America yes. having a 4th of July parade and, yeah. and those are really fun things. And, and if you've never experienced going, you know, like in a real small town uh, experience, like, you know, and I hate to use the word, but they're sometimes hokey. Yes, right. You know, they're they're right. hokey to us, right? But but there's such small town charm to them. They're sincere. Uh, yeah, and they're sincere. And mm-hmm. and that is, I think, part of what Walt wanted with Main yeah. Street and you know, having that small town feel. Yeah. Right. I, I think so. And and yeah. you know, he put those parades in his movies. Let I me mean, think of Toby Tyler and the Great sure. Parade. Uh you know, there are parades in Disney films every once in a while. And uh, I think he loved, you know, he loved small towns. He loved uh, Americana. He loved all the things that went with it. And that includes putting on a parade. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's where it all stems from. And that's probably why we have them at Disneyland. And now people have just come to expect them. We've grown into them. Uh, most people have, are more likely to have seen a parade at, at a Disney theme park than they are to have seen one in a small town. So, because uh, you know, those have disappeared. Those are yeah. a, a lot, a lot of that has disappeared over a the years. A lot has. A lot has. Yeah. So we, um, uh, I think that they're real. I think people really love them because, uh, for one, it's usually a big flood of characters. You get a lot of characters that are all coming out at once, um, which is really neat. And everything is going past you, so you don't have to really lift a finger. You just sit there and have a have a soda and a hot dog and watch the parade, and it's uh, it's it's like a big moving theatrical experience. I think people really really love that. You know, have you heard from from just guests uh, or or people that oh, I know when we when we gush about them? Yeah, oh, always, and then they cry when they close and change, and you know, um, we get a lot of that too. But you notice, like people, the the fans are just um, so into things these days, and to the point of, you know, when Mickey Sensational closed, uh, the day that it closed, Jody and I went into the park, and we were just 
you know, we went in as guests. There, there was no special event planned or anything like that. We were just in the crowd watching. And it was amazing to see how many people brought their kids in custom-made costumes that were copies of the costumes that the dancers wore. That amazing. And not just one, but many of them yeah. all over the place. Um, you know, those parades, especially a parade like that, that's around for several years. Yeah. I forget exactly how many years it was like seven or eight years that parade ran. You think that's a long time out of a child's life, you know, to go there when you're five and it for it to be there when you're 13, you know, you feel like it's been there forever. It's always been at Disneyland, you know, and um, you just latch onto it. And I, I see a lot of people, uh, they love it and they get such a, a kick out of if a, if a character or performer uh, recognizes them from the last time or waves at them or, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's very meaningful. I, I, I'm curious when, when a parade does close, are they recycling those uh, those float mobiles or whatever you would call uh, them? The, I, I call the, them floats, you know, but those moving floats. Do, those, <laughs> yeah, do, do those get recycled? Or are the, do they strip them down and then uh, redecorate them or, you know, um, use sats for yes. the next parade? Yes, to, uh, yes and no to all of those uh, questions. And, and uh, do they do they ever archive any of this, uh, any of the stuff or do they archive all of the stuff or do they just toss it? Wow. I wish they archived stuff. Um, you know, um, I think a lot of the floats, you know, those float, uh, drive units and motors and wheels and all are really expensive. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, to, to whatever you can recycle and, uh, and yeah, most of them you can strip down to the bare bone skeleton of a drive unit and build on top of it and build something entirely different depending on, uh, you know, how wide it is and everything. Um, and are those, just, are those are those electric vehicles now, they or they are yeah. electric? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're all charged and, yeah. uh, and electric. So there's no gas, you know. Uh, the fumes, the fumes, yeah, the exhaust. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they're all electric, and uh, so all the parade floats get plugged in overnight and get you know charged up for the next day. Uh, but yeah, they do get recycled. I wish that like um, a lot of the scenic mm -hmm. stuff was saved uh sometimes it is you know sometimes i remember when sensational closed they um somebody from disney called us and asked us if we wanted any part of it you know do you want a piece off of one of the floats and stuff and we picked our pieces and then they said oh wait 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 we're, we're gonna hold on to them for a little bit longer because we're not sure if we're gonna take the floats apart just yet you know they, we were, might just, they were just teasing they were teasing you. yeah <laughs> dangling yeah. that carrot That's oh right. my gosh That's um, you know, I'm I'm curious though. Uh, do you th they do recycle some of the parades uh, from the standpoint of reintroduce them? Mm -hmm. Because as we know, they did that with the Main Street Electrical Parade, mm -hmm. right? There mm -hmm. was a big deal about shutting that down. They sold the light bulbs off, years <laughs> and all nine yards. And then how many years later did oh it's coming back? And there was a big, big promotion around that, right? <laughs> Yeah, I've lost track. I mean, it seems like we've said goodbye and it's here again so many yeah. times now and in different parks and different places that I don't even, you know, I don't even know what to believe anymore. Do they rotate? I mean, would they take a parade that was at Disneyland and send it to Orlando? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, the and then from Orlando, send it to Tokyo or Paris yes. or yeah. So right now, currently, if you go to uh, to Disneyland and watch, you know, one of the parades, um, 
usually I, I'm not sure exactly how they're fitting it in, but uh, you, you'll see the big Mickey Mouse uh, float that looks like a toy, a mechanical toy. Yes, I, 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 I actually just saw that a couple of months ago. Okay. And I love that float. Yeah, thank Did you. Did you have something to do with it? Yeah, Jody and I designed that. Fantastic. I love and that. That float uh, was designed for Tokyo Disneyland for uh, the Happiness is Here parade, ah. which uh, closed. And um, they offered the floats to any other Disney park that wanted them before they, you know, threw them out. And uh, Disneyland, Disneyland said, yeah, we'll take that one. So somehow or another, they shipped it across the ocean to uh, to California. And now we have it, which is great. Yeah, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful float. And I would encourage anybody to uh, check that out next time they're down at Disneyland. <laughs> I, I really would. I mean, I, I was enamored by it. I, in fact, if I if I had time, if this was a video show, uh, I would pull my phone out and show you the pictures I have. You know? I, keep, I keep trying to get him to do video, but, you know, and, uh, at some point we will. At, at some point we're going to do that, you know, but, uh, you know, I have to say um, uh, from from what you were doing with the parades. When did you actually leave and set up the Kevin and Jody show company, you know, whole nine yards? So we left uh, Disney in 2006. Um, our, the division we were working for, we had moved from Disneyland. We transferred uh, around 1999 or 2000, somewhere in there. We transferred uh, out of Anaheim up to Glendale. And we were working for consumer products. Um, wow. I think it's just we had just... You know, we had worked for Disneyland for so long. It's a that's a long time, 10 years of doing parades and stuff. And I think we both were just looking for something different to do. And uh, we had some friends who were working uh, up in L.A. Yeah, that's it. There's our flow. There, I, I, I just want our listeners to know I'm showing <laughs> I'm showing Kevin my phone and the uh, the Mickey float that I just uh, pulled the picture up of. I love that. That's why I took several pictures of it. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so we ended up in, uh, you know, consumer products at the uh, Walt Disney Gallery store um, uh, design offices. And uh, Jody and I got assigned to the Disney Gallery stores designing all the all the merchandise. So we were the entire art department for the Disney Gallery for several, several years. That must have been a lot of fun. It was fun. And that was, I think, where we really began to um, get really creative, really, you know, it was really open to us. Like I said before, when we worked on parades and things, we were just part of a big, huge group of people. Right. uh, Putting on a show. But with a piece of merchandise, designing a Christmas ornament or a snow globe or, um, you know, a figurine or something like that. that that's you or Jody yeah. or the both of you. That's right. You don't need, you don't right. need 50 people to work on that. So, right. um, and they really were like designing parade floats. You know, if you look at some of these figurines or sculptures, there are three dimensional things that have to look good from all sides. And uh, they're, they're little miniature set pieces in their, in their own right. So uh, I think we just took all of our knowledge of designing for theater and for um, Disneyland and, you know, put it into our work, uh, designing merchandise. <laughs> how, long, how long were you doing merchandise for consumer products? Uh, I think about six or seven years. And then while we were there. And, and, and then what did you do at that point? 
after that. So, so then uh, there was, you know, unfortunately a big mass layoff at Disney at the time that we were swept up in. Um, I think there was like something like 30, 35 to 40 people who were let go. Out of consumer products. Out of consumer products. Yeah. Right. And, we, yeah. and, you know, they were really nice about it. They're like, we're not firing you. We're just, you know, we're just doing business. And um, so, if, you know, they really did, uh, HR did step in and tried to find us uh, jobs elsewhere in the company. And sure. we were, and we, you know, we, we, we looked around and we thought about it for a while. And then we kind of thought, hmm, maybe, you know, it has been a long time. I was almost at 20 years. Right. Uh, with Disney. And um, I think we were just looking for um, something else to do. And when we left, we decided to go ahead and, and take the severance and go mm-hmm. and started our own company. I remember the night that we were laid off, we had dinner at Bob Gurr's house. He made us salad and martinis and uh, yeah, uh, excuse me, Gertinis. Yeah, Gertinis. Yeah, <laughs> very healthy salad, very not healthy Gertinis. And then, uh, and I remember being very kind of a little bit, you know, emotional about the whole thing because here I had started working at Disneyland when I was 18 years old. And now I was, you know, 40 something and sure. I'm now not working at Disney. So, you know, everything from buying my own health insurance to, I kind of felt like my entire youth was, uh, was spent at Disney and now I had to be an adult, <laughs> you know, I had to do adult things to survive. And I remember Bob going, just don't, you don't, I remember he had great advice. He's like, don't worry about it. You know, um, just imagine that you're in a big river and there are rocks in the river. And sometimes you think you need to be on that rock and you're holding for dear life to this one rock because you think this is where I need to be on this rock. This is where I'm supposed to be. When what you should do is just let go, let the river take you down the stream and see where it takes you. You know, you don't need to be on that rock. You can, you can explore other things. You can go other places. And, and he, he certainly is speaking from experience because yeah. he, he had his own experiences of uh, leaving the studio uh, or leaving Imagineering, I should say, um, uh, rather abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He was, he's like, you'll be fine. And of course he was right. And as soon as we um, started telling all of our old friends at Disneyland and Disney world and everywhere that we had worked over the past 20 years um, that we were free and available and do they need any help with anything? We, the work started pouring in and it's never stopped. And Disney really is, you know, even though we're not, uh, you know, Disney cast members on the payroll, yeah. Um, are, we are mostly Disney artists. I'd say 90% of all the work we do is, uh, remains to be for the Disney company in some yeah. way or another. Which is fantastic, but you do take on other things. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and it's all through referral and, and people who have circulated through Disney to other companies and yeah. all of that. Right. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We design like right now, Jody's designing a parade for a non-Disney theme park. Um, and we're, I don't, we just get a lot, we get a lot of that. So, you know, and, and, and do you, do you kind of keep, keep a lid on what you're working on? Do you have a, yeah. a certain amount of like, this is top secret when oh, I yeah, talk about it. Oh yeah. Everything you know it is. Yeah, yeah. Everything is top secret until it comes out. Right. Right. Okay. Everything. So I'm not going to ask what, what, what. Is oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I also wanted to sort of touch on the fact that, you know, you and Jody are married. 
how is it working together? And do you have your own space? Do you, yeah. do you kind of go off into your own corners and then, you know, spend a day doing your own thing and then come back for dinner at night or something <laughs> like that? No, yeah. I, I asked because, you know, Nancy and I work together on a number of projects and, you know, we're kind of in a similar situation. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, it's amazing. It has worked out so well. I mean, I mean, of course, sometimes we have, uh, you know, whatever our little issues about something or other, but for the most part, it's, uh, yes, we do. We, you know, we live in a big enough house that there's multiple rooms to go into. And yeah. if somebody's out in the studio sculpting or painting or whatever, someone else is, you know, in, in the air conditioned house working on the computer or whatever. Right. Um, so we all, we do have lots of different places to go and, um, not every project is going to be touched by both of us, you know, as far as like, so, so you take projects in where yeah. one or the other works on it, or in some cases, both of you work on it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Which, which is, I think really fun. Yeah. 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 I would say, I mean, you know, really we, we both give each other um, advice and help and, and uh, critiques and, and all critiques of those. Things. Yeah. All of that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're both involved in everything to right. some extent, some tiny extent, but yeah. yeah, we split everything up for the most part. Well, you know, I, I have to ask you because I'm like fixated on it for some reason and I'm enamored by it. I have to ask you about Andy Anaheim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you tell our listeners who Andy Anaheim is and what you're doing with Andy Anaheim? Okay. <laughs> so uh, Andy Anaheim is a little cartoon character who is the official mascot of the city of Anaheim, designed by the Walt Disney Studios in 1953, um, back before Disneyland was open, but it was during that time when uh, Walt and the studio were in negotiation with the city uh, about where to put Disneyland and how to, you know, dealing with all those little issues like running water and sewer and power out to this field. road roadways and yeah, roadways. and all of yeah, that. Everything. Lots and lots and lots goes into, uh, into building something like this, uh, in a little town. And, um, and so the, uh, you know, listening to all these incredible things that the Disney company was describing to, uh, to the city, uh, leaders, the city was like, wow, this just sounds amazing, but it sounds like everybody's just going to go there and they're not going to come to like anything we have here in Anaheim. You know, we have hotels and restaurants and we have a movie theater and we have all kinds of stuff. Is anybody even going to care or are they just going to go to Disneyland? And so Walt was great. I mean, back then he's like, no, 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 they're going to love it. Just, you know, Anaheim is great. And I know at, at, um, I've, I've heard uh, in some some great interview clip that I've been trying to get a copy of uh, that I saw somewhere along the way, uh, Walt talking about how much he loved Anaheim and that, you know, at least in the 50s when he came out here, sure. he reminded him of his uh, small town that he grew up in. You know, it was because Anaheim at that time was a small town surrounded by orange groves. Right. right? Yeah. Very rural, yeah. lots of farmers, uh, very country. You know, you got you left big L.A. and you got on the highway and you drove in your open top car through Southern California down down to Anaheim, where the air smelled like orange blossoms from all those millions of oranges <clears throat> everywhere. And I think it was just like, you know, so refreshing and, and kind of nice to get out of Burbank, you know, and go down to, to Anaheim and 
and, and have this nice place to play around, you know, with building this park, moving dirt around and building cool buildings and all of that. I think Walt was really excited about that. So, uh, so Andy Anaheim was a gift to the city of Anaheim, a little character that would represent everything except Disneyland. So basically all of Anaheim, except for Disneyland. Disneyland has many characters representing Disneyland. There's Tinkerbell and Mickey Mouse and, you know, goes on and on and on and on. So Anaheim had Andy and um, Andy's kind of a strange little character. We're not really sure which artist. I always thought it might've been Bob Moore. It has a little bit of a, his style. It also looks a little bit uh, Bill Justice-ish whenever I look at uh, some of the early Andy drawings. Uh, but we could have, it have been could it have been Roy Williams? Yeah, it could have been because uh, I mean Roy Williams was doing a lot of stuff with Hank Porter yeah. with, with all of the insignias and stuff like that during yeah. World War II. But by 1953, Hank Porter would have been dead. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, but um, it, it we're not really sure. I uh, I even asked Dave Smith before he passed away uh, if he had any idea who the artist was behind Andy Anaheim. He said, no, I don't know. Somebody in the studio who had some free hands from some free time on their hands that day. And Walt said, Hey, Hey, draw this up. Yeah. So Andy is, uh, and, and Walt just gave it to Anaheim. There was no copyright. It was like, here's, here's Andy. Here's this character for you guys. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. It's like one of the very rare Disney design characters that doesn't belong to Disney. Well, yeah, but it was like all the World War II insignia. I mean, he did, <laughs> they, they did 1,200 insignia, and a lot of those were just given away. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That yeah, is true, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. It, it definitely was a precedent for it. So um, Andy, here's what Andy looks like. He's mostly the letter A. His his body is the letter A, <laughs> with little little feet at the bottom of the A and little arms sticking out of the side. And then his head I think looks like uh, a cross between uh, Mickey Mouse with no ears and Jiminy Cricket. You know, he sort of has Jiminy Cricket's sort of bald head. And uh, I always thought his head was, was his head supposed to be an orange? No. Mm -mm. No. Okay. I Um, I, I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the first I've heard that one, but I can see, (laughs) I can see where you're coming from. No, a lot of people think he's an ant because he's got a couple little wisps of hair that get misread as um, antennas Uh, on his his head. But, uh, you know, I think they gave him some hair, just uh, like two little lines of hair, just so he could emote, you know, when mm -hmm. he's surprised they stick up and when he's relaxed, they sort of curl down. And I don't know, it was just something, some extra, I think also it was very important in his design that he was very simple, so easy to draw that pretty much anyone with no skill could continue to draw Andy because I think it was pretty well understood that even though the Disney company was giving this character to the city, it didn't mean that the Disney artists were going to spend a whole lot of time making Andy art for the city for, you know, ever and ever and ever. Right, right. So at some point, somebody at the city was going to have to take over the the job of creating new Andy art for whatever uh, the city wanted, you know. And Andy was beginning to get used, at least in the 50s, on everything from, um, you know, construction and road work, uh, building of, uh, you know, new buildings. He was on the electric bills that you got in the mail. Uh, Andy would tell people, you know, turn off your lights and turn off your water and all this kind of stuff. So he was a logo, really. He's a logo for the yeah. city. 
And, uh, and w- was he ever animated? No. Uh-uh. No. It was always no. just a. He was always just a graphic logo. Always a graphic logo. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and, and 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 so he was used early on, but then did it sort of tail off? And has it been resurrected? How did you get involved? So yes, he. You know, he's very fifth. If you've seen. Yeah, I, I love uh, I love the character. I can't tell you that enough. <laughs> he's very, um, you know, but he's very uh, sort of nostalgic, mid-century looking advertising type character. Yeah. And in the I would say around the time of late 60s into the 70s, um, that style of character was not really in fashion. You know, though, all those ads for beer and sodas and, and potato chips and everything that had those, those cute little characters, they weren't on, t- on TV anymore. Um, yeah. We were moving in another direction. So that style was out and Andy looked old to everybody. And so they didn't really make a big deal out of it. He just sort of faded away and the city came up with a new logo at the time, which has also been replaced several times over now. Um, it's gone. Um, but um, Andy was not really forgotten. I think the only places that he was still getting used up and into the, maybe the eighties was uh, I think there was a, like a a little kids Anaheim softball team that was using Andy on their certificates, you know, awards Mm -hmm. for the kids. Sure. Um, So some of the kids who played softball and baseball, they remembered Andy on those things, but they didn't really know who he was. Um, and he was pretty much forgotten unless you were an old person who lived here back in the fifties and had a memory of him. Otherwise most people didn't know who he was. So when Jody and I moved here, um, we had seen him on some great old graphics, you know, some old, uh, maps and some old brochures of Anaheim welcomes Disneyland, uh, you know, from the fifties and uh, cute little poses of Andy blowing on a trumpet, you know, heralding Disneyland, you know, and uh, lots of cute little things like that. And we're like, what is this character? What's the story behind this? And um, started doing, you know, some research into it. We went into the, uh, the, the public library here where there's a, uh, what's it called? The history reading room, I think, of the public, Anaheim Public Library. Um, they have some folders of old stuff and they had a model sheet of Andy that had the little Walt Disney studio stamp, uh, on it, which is pretty exciting. So, um, we started doing more research into it and discovering that Andy wasn't, you know, was kind of up for grabs. He was sitting there not doing anything, but the city owned him. And we're like, you guys have an amazing thing. And, uh, we started using him on stuff. Jody and I, uh, started volunteering for the Anaheim historical society, first Mm -hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. And uh, which, you know, historical site in the town. So we did a whole event, a uh, little fundraiser for the historical society, all about Anaheim's history with orange groves. And uh, it was called like Citrus Celebration. And I brought out my sketch pad and drew Andy Anaheim for all the kids. And uh, we made T-shirts we, using the old graphics from the brochures. We just lifted it right off the graph off the old brochures. It said Anaheim mm-hmm. and it had Andy there. Um, so people started to take notice, like, what is that? I remember that, you know, what was that character's name and all this? Um, now, you know, Jody and I are, uh, 
working, we're very closely involved with the Anaheim Halloween Parade, speaking of small town parades, which awesome. um, turns 100 years old next year. Wow. Um, yeah, Crazy. We're, at nine, we're at 99 this year. Wow. And so next year is going to be a blowout celebration, right? Oh yeah, it'll be the two two years because there was like a fall festival and a Halloween parade, and they were two different consecutive years. Yeah, so we're doing those two years of one hundred. Wow. Uh, two years, yeah. So anyway, Andy became um, the float that run that uh, leads off the whole parade. He's he's a, a gigantic Andy Anaheim that's mechanical with his head turns back and forth, and he plays bangs on a big drum, and uh, it all lights up and everything. So that's the that's the first float of the, uh, of the Halloween parade. And the city started getting interested again in using Andy in municipal stuff again. And so they um, asked if we would be interested in creating new character art for Andy. Of course, Jody and I were senior character artists at Disney for a long time. So we're like, of course, this is the easiest character in the world to draw. And uh, we started doing a whole bunch of poses in different hats and different costumes, giving him different props. You know, so Andy could celebrate the holidays or Andy could um, uh, look like a construction worker working on a road that's closed. And it's fun going around town now because the city's actually printing these characters on the signage. Yeah. And uh, there's a, you know, there's a, a city newsletter that a magazine that goes out to all the residents every quarter. And it's filled with our, our Andy art that we've created. So it's really fun. It feels good to have brought that character back and I, on I, the website. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. I, I think it's a great character. And also it, it's like, you know, he's retro now. So he's very retro. So, yeah. so, so he, he's golden going forward because yeah. he's just retro. And, uh, and, and so my next question is what about merchandise? When are you going to create, <laughs> when are you going to create the rubber, uh, Andy, you know, merchandise, the sculptures, you know? Well, we have to like figure out how to do it, you know, so that we can do it with, uh, through the city it's theirs. Um, but we, you know, people ask about that all the time. Um, you know, oh gosh, wouldn't that I, Andy it would be a, it would be a gold mine if the city of Anaheim sets up a merch shop <laughs> someplace and just stocks it with all of this Andy <laughs> merchandise. I'm telling you, it would be a revenue stream for them. Yeah, the Andy shop. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, we've, we've flooded them with so much art over <clears> the years, you know, new Andy art. They've got a lot. They could start at least with t-shirts. Honestly, I mean, you know, they should take their cue from Disneyland and all the merch that that is made with the characters. They they just have to deal with one character. Yeah, one character. They can come up with a ton of stuff. I mean, for crying out loud, you know. And, and by the way, they don't even have to set up their own shop. I'm sure there's plenty of gift shops and independent uh, businesses that would stock the merchandise in Anaheim. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and set up a website. I have a web store. <laughs> so somebody like me who lives far away or or Al John in Nashville, he could go online and buy it and have it shipped to his house. <laughs> exactly. It's too bad that we aren't on video, actually, because I could show you some uh, some of the little uh, Andy items that we've Jody and I've made for different people uh, here in the city. Uh, we've made little figurines and we've made uh, I've sculpted an Andy that was used uh, on a bar of soap. Um, but wow. these are, these are sort of internal, you know, small things, uh, really kind of in the neighborhood and stuff, but not, not so much, uh, out for the public. Well, I would like an Andy maquette. 
I'm just putting, <laughs> okay. I'm putting my order in now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, patches, <laughs> buttons, t-shirts, maquettes. I mean, you know, <laughs> well, so many good know, ideas. I, I have to tell you, th- this has been such a great conversation, Kevin. I, I can't tell you. Uh, it's just been a joy talking to you and hearing about your career and how you got to where you are. Um, Al John, we have even- any... Anything you want to talk about? Well, a couple things, you know, I mean, we didn't even touch on the Tiki stuff. Because, oh, yeah. First of all, I'm a huge fan yeah. of of the Tiki bar scene, uh, yeah. even though we don't have a lot of them. We don't have any here in Nashville. But I have to say, uh, you know, my wife and I collect the, uh, the Trader Sam's mugs from both coasts. And yeah. you guys have a hand in a lot of just tiki mugs, signature tiki mugs and such. Yeah. Uh, what is it about the tiki culture and making these mugs that you love so much and sculpting these? Mm. Well, you know, we both grew up in that time. Jody and I both loved tiki and we loved, of course, Disneyland's Enchanted Tiki Room. It was amazing. Love it. Um, and, uh, uh, we both got involved in, in a big way in the mid nineties. Um, Anaheim had, uh, we were working at Disneyland at the time and we worked on a little museum exhibit that, um, was here in Anaheim about, um, Polynesian pop culture in Orange County. Um, a lot of the motels and hotels and, and, um, of course the Tiki room at Disneyland, but bowling alleys, I mean, you name it there, there, that Hawaiian tropical, Tiki Polynesian thing was really strong back in the fifties and sixties here in Orange County. It was all over the place. So we, um, we did a whole thing about that. And then we of course got really stuck on that. We started, um, uh, doing mugs and, and merchandise and shirts and I don't know so much stuff just for the Tiki crowd, um, you know, outside of Disney. And then once, um, Disney started kind of jumping on, to it, even though they, Disney had started it, but you know, it takes a while for the Disney company to, to realize they've got something cool <laughs> that's right <laughs> under their own noses all these years. They were like, Oh, that, that show, we were thinking about getting rid of it. You know, for a long time, they were actually designing new shows to put into the Tiki room thinking that it was so old that maybe we needed to refresh it. Um, of course they don't think that now, now it's, 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 uh, Retro you know, is cool galvanized like uh, Haunted Mansion and, you know, all those classics you can't really touch because they're so ensconced in our, uh, you know, in our, our hearts right now. Yeah. Um, Tiki Room luckily is, is there. So uh, I think it's, it, it'll always be around in some form or another, but um, uh, we really got into it. I mean, you know, we love, uh, I love the, the style and I love the characters and we love the, um, we love also the bar scene as well, the the cocktails and everything. We have a home bar here and make make drinks. We have our own our own uh, cocktails, as a matter of fact, too. So you're invited to come over sometime. And we'll well, wait a second, Bob Ger Bob Ger has the the Gertini. What do you guys have? We have a drink. There's so there's a, a Al John. You might know. Do you know Beach Bum Berry? Of familiar course. With Beach Bum Berry. Okay. Sure. So Beach Bumberry, you know, a god among tiki gods who has owns an amazing uh, tiki bar in New Orleans right now with his wife. And it's incredible. Um, they uh, he uh, created a cocktail for us back in the 90s, which we still make today called the Mehana. And Mehana is Anaheim spelled backwards. <laughs> of course. It sounds Hawaiian. Uh, it's like Yen Sid. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> like Yen Sid. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that's uh, but awesome. it's a really good one. It does sound Hawaiian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, we love that. I, I mean, I, I love the I love the fact that you guys do uh, you know some custom mugs and stuff like that, which I, I'm I'm a fan. I hope that if you haven't already started an online like store, because I know some of your stuff is on it, uh, eBay and things. You just need to have like your own little Etsy business and some of the fallout just goes right there. So we fans can buy it, whether it's the paper craft stuff or whatever, but uh, I think that's going to happen. We're, we're, we've been talking a lot about this over the last, especially the last, since the pandemic, yeah. um, you know, having a, an online store, everybody's like, you guys got to do this. You got to do this. Cause we do actually have a lot of stuff sitting around and, you know, we've done so much work over the years. We have things that are packed away in boxes that, that well they're eventually going to be sold so why don't we just start doing it you know extra stuff extra stuff is good and i think (laughs) i think the fans i mean obviously the lunchbox that you had for d23 that you and jody made are just great because you know obviously we're d23 so we have the lunchbox (laughs) but uh you know the paper craft stuff or a book or posters we're all about the last thing um country bear jamboree yeah. Uh big fan of that. I mean, they call me Big Al around the office for a reason. It's not just because of blood <laughs> on the saddle or anything like that. But um would you would you put uh, uh I guess the enchanted tiki room and if you had to and you had the country bear jamboree, if you had to choose one or the other to live in for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Would it be to hang out with the country bears or hang out over there at the tiki room? That's a hard one, but I would, I mean, I think I would pick the Tiki room, uh, actually. Um, I don't know. I I think I, you know, the environment, more waterfalls and more (laughs) more shade. I don't know the country bears. They have their big barn of a theater and, uh, you know, lots of wood and velvet drapes. And I don't know. I think I'd get tired of that a little bit, but or uh, or we could talk about the Muppet theater. I mean, you know, then you have three different things to choose from. (laughs) <laughs> but i i love the country bear and jody and i both we just absolutely love them we grew up with them it was such a heartache for those to leave disneyland and uh um we luckily you know thank goodness it's still around in in florida and uh, tokyo and they're big hits there so we um we were very happy to be able to create some new merchandise recently for uh, walt disney world's and a big anniversary and, um, and celebrate some of those old things that we love. Um, and of course at the top of our list was country bear jamboree. They, so they had really good hamburgers back there, didn't they? Uh, where, where the <laughs> oh, country yeah. bear jamboree yeah. was, uh, in, uh, in, the, uh, the Disneyland. Hungry bear restaurant. The hungry bear, yeah. The hungry yeah. bear restaurant. That was yeah. it. Yeah. They had yeah. good the hamburgers there. <laughs> the they did. Now we could go on and on about the rabbit <laughs> hole. Uh, well, you know what I was going to say, Al John, we could go on and on, but we're not going to because we're bumping up against time. And I think we're going to have Kevin back uh, maybe next year. And we're going to just drill into other things. Okay. okay? And, and really sort of uh, deconstruct some of those projects. That'll be great. And we should have a book uh, hopefully out by then. You know, I've been working for the past three years on the uh, making of Swiss Family Robinson. The movie. Oh, fantastic. And uh, I over during the pandemic, I got to interview Tommy Kirk just right before he passed away. Wow! Wow! Um, and um, it's turning out so good. I'm so excited. Can't wait to that. see that. And that'll be next year's okay. Segment, so we can talk about that. There's a lot of stuff coming out next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Kevin, thank you very much for being on the Skull Rock Podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> we look forward. Yeah, yeah. We look forward to having you back. <laughs> All right, I'll be here. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. All right, that Kevin. I tell you what. Uh, I can't. I can't wait to have Kevin back, and maybe we'll have the Kevin Do- and Jody show back here to talk about all things that they've been working on for Disney, etc. Yeah, you know, uh, a super nice guy, and really an incredible career so far. Uh, and uh, I just love the the art style he has, uh, and and the work he's doing. Especially, I I, I have this. I'm, I'm infatuated with uh, Anaheim Andy. You know, we talked about Anaheim Andy. I just love that character. And it's so great that it was designed by uh, an artist at Disney and uh, Walt gave it to the city of Anaheim. I mean, such generosity. I I love that story. And I I love I love the style, of course, such a fan of the art style and the merchandise and the things he's done. And we own a, a few of those pieces here at the house. Um, and it's really, really great. So, um, thank you so much for being on the show, Kevin, looking forward to seeing what else uh, is going on and maybe bring back that Anaheim Andy merchandise for Dave and myself, because, uh, <laughs> we'd love to have a little uh, maquette here uh, sitting on a desk. That'd be amazing. Right. At least I think there we go. Me. I, I think there we so. go. Right on. So once again, thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you're a fan, please, please don't forget to subscribe on all your favorite podcast catchers, if you will. We're everywhere. iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, you name it, we're on it. And leave us those five-star reviews. It certainly helps out that algorithm. we got to feed the beast. Feed the beast and give us those five-star reviews. Also, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow Dave and myself. We're also on Instagram as well. Please do that. And check out all the show archives there on our website, SkullRockPodcast.com, also on Anchor.fm. Links in the show notes. Uh, also like to thank our, our good friends at Shure Microphones as well. Thank you so much. Old Mill Press. Link is in the show notes. Send us those emails too, if you will. Dave or Al John at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave. Well, you. I have to tell you, I want to give a little tease because coming up in October... We have some incredible guests, uh, and it's all going to focus around the upcoming Halloween holiday. (laughs) So uh, I just want to say that um, and uh, uh, go out and have a great week. Uh, We'll look forward to having you back here next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast.